If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important. You need EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. It's a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense because I have a bloating problem, friends. Yes, I do. Inflammation is not my friend. Since taking one capsule a day on an empty stomach with water, I have noticed more energy, improved skin, and here's the big one, reduced bloating. Head to myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and so much more. That's myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 136 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Safarian, and I am so happy you've joined me. On today's show, we are discussing the five pillars of responsible decluttering. Minimalist influencers tend to have their own methods for decluttering. The most famous would be Marie Kondo's KonMari method. Previous podcast guests who are minimalists and professional organizers and declutterers have their own methods. Rose Lounsbury, for example, she was a podcast guest on episode number 17, way back then, episode 17, and she trademarked the less method. The five pillars of responsible decluttering is my method. It's not trademarked. It is just my ideas put into pillar form. And so we're going to go through them one by one today. What makes sustainable minimalism different than any other form of minimalism that is out there these days is that sustainable minimalism has a heavy focus on being responsible with your discards. Before we talk about those pillars, let's just review the benefits of a decluttered home. First, humans have evolved to prefer tidy spaces. Order and symmetry gave our ancestors advantages over predators. So humans prefer, in our biology, (laughs) tidy spaces. And you may be saying to yourself, heck no, I do not like tidy spaces. I like messy spaces. I'm discussing humans as a species. It is not uncommon for many people to feel scattered and anxious when their living space is untidy. And so decluttering that space ensures that you're no longer pulled in the direction of clutter. Some other benefits to a decluttered home is that a decluttered home reduces family tension. I have found in my own life that maintaining tidiness also maintains family harmony because it sets the foundation for myself to have an overall calmer baseline. I'm no longer snapping at my husband for this or yelling at my kids for having a messy playroom. Paring down my belongings has been a really powerful way for my husband and my kids to get me at my best and not at my worst. There's so many other benefits, but just one more I want to talk about really quickly is that A decluttered home is so much easier to maintain than a cluttered one. The average American spends 60 hours a month, which is 90 minutes a day, 
on household upkeep, which includes cleaning, tidying, organizing, 90 minutes a day. Do you have 90 minutes a day that you want to spend on keeping up your home? I certainly don't. But it just stands to reason, and it is just true, that when you own less, you have less stuff to take care of. That 90 minutes significantly goes down. So we're going to talk about the five pillars of responsible decluttering today, and I'm going to mention them all right now, and then we'll quickly go through them. The five pillars are choose quality over quantity, measure true value, ask the tough questions when the going gets tough, remove but don't toss, and finally analyze what's left. So let's just get right started with number one, choose quality over quantity. Sustainable minimalism is about revering quality products when purchasing, but also reserving quality products when decluttering. So what does that mean? That means that when you pare down your items, keep in mind quality. Quality furniture you should keep. Quality furniture is made of real wood, not particle board. Aspire to keep that solid wood furniture that has been treated with non-toxic dyes and water-based lacquers. Instead of decluttering the blankets and keeping the softest blanket or the softest pillow, read the label and keep those items that were made with natural fibers and are free from flame retardant chemicals and volatile organic compounds or VOCs like formaldehyde. If you're decluttering the toy room and your child has five sets of blocks, look at your child's block collection through the lens of quality. Maybe you should declutter the plastic set of blocks and keep the wood ones for future children or even perhaps for grandchildren. One more example really quick is if you have two spatulas, let's say, one's silicone and one's plastic, through the lens of quality, you would want to keep that silicone spatula and put in the plastic one in the donation box because silicone boasts high heat resistance and low toxicity. So what am I saying here with all those examples? I am saying to not keep your favorite, let's say. I'm saying keep the best quality one. Quality products are often made of solid wood or metal. Plastic often, but not always, lends itself to cheaply made items. And similarly here is dainty materials like bamboo and wicker. They just may not be durable enough to withstand the test of time. So quality over quantity. The second pillar of responsible decluttering is to measure true value. Now, I have been so fortunate to talk to many minimalists and declutterers on the podcast over the last few years. And in these interviews, I have heard a singular sentiment over and over again. When we tidy, we tend to forget that true value is dependent on utility. Every item has a fundamental purpose for its existence. Chairs, they're meant to be sat on. Candles are meant to give light. It's so important to understand the difference between using an item in the present and holding onto it in the future. Because possessions that we're not regularly using right now have no real value because they're not living up to their utility. And when you store items for one day... What you're essentially doing is you're preventing those items from reaching both their purpose and their potential right now. Now, I know this is probably very hard to wrap your head around, but I will say that 
once you get on board, it starts to feel an awful lot easier. So let's let me give you an example. Let's say in your basement right now you have a perfectly working microwave. It's in your basement. You're not using it currently. It's just collecting dust. You don't want to get rid of it because it's a perfectly good microwave, right? It costs money. But if you apply the concept of utility to this microwave, it will inform you that the microwave has no true value right now to you or anyone else because it's not being used for its intended purpose, which of course is to warm food. So if you donated that microwave or if you sold that microwave to someone who could use it right now, you would immediately restore its value while also preventing the recipient of that microwave from purchasing a new one. Many people balk at the idea of donating or selling perfectly good stuff, and that's because stuff costs money. But thanks to constant product turnover and innovation, stuff quickly becomes obsolete, and that's particularly the case in the form of electronics and appliances. So that microwave, for example, if you keep that microwave, if you're planning to keep that microwave for your child when he or she has his first apartment, or even if you're keeping it for five years from now for whatever, chances are real good that that microwave is going to be obsolete. And because goods are cheap, your child will likely be able to buy that new microwave for his or her first apartment for just $50. Why would they want your old dusty microwave when they could buy a $50 brand new sparkly shiny one for very little money? And and especially in the cases of electronics and appliances like my microwave example, waiting just five or 10 years to actually donate that item will drastically reduce the chances that that item will achieve its utility. Right? Like think about a TV. A flat screen TV in your storage unit could be given away and used right now. But if you wait two years to get rid of it, to donate it, that flat screen will be significantly less desirable to potential buyers because it will have been already replaced by newer, sleeker models. That is measuring true value. An item only has value if you're using it. If you're not using it and it is collecting dust, it is not living up to its intended purpose. Moving right along to pillar of responsible decluttering number three, and that is to ask the tough questions. Now, every decluttering method has questions that they want you to ask. I have some too. I think mine are a little bit different. I'm going to maybe just go through four. I'll go through four of them. Question number one is, would you keep it if you downsized? If you have a big house and you were suddenly told that you have to move to a two-bedroom apartment, would you bring the item in question? I love this question. I've said on the podcast before, I can't wait to move back to an apartment once my children have left the nest. And I ask myself this question all the time. When I inevitably move, will I bring this item with me? Asking that question is a really powerful way for me and my own life to provide clarity around what I'm holding on to right now that's actually important. Another question is, would you replace it if it broke? So when my cell phone died a couple months back, I canceled everything on my schedule and I replaced it within hours. But when my garlic press snapped three months ago, I just made do and I used a knife to mince my garlic instead. When an item breaks, we either rush to replace it or we adapt. 
So use that logic when thinking about decluttering. Would you replace this item if it broke or would you learn to live without it? Another question is, what is the worst that could happen if you let it go? Okay, so I've talked about this on the podcast many a time. I had decluttered a book that I just needed (laughs) and I was beside myself that I had actually donated this book. But the story ended up having a happy ending because my father-in-law had the exact same book and let me borrow his copy. I could have also probably gone to the library and got the book, right? What's the worst that could happen if you let it go? If you find yourself struggling with the fear that if you let go of this item and you need it later, you may also find that this fear is creating overflowing basements, garages, and attics with stuff. Doom and gloom notions of, but what if I need it later, are usually unfounded because if you let something go and you need it later, the chances are real good that you can attain it again by borrowing it from someone, buying it secondhand, buying it new, getting it from the library. Unless the item that you're struggling over is a one-of-a-kind item, you can probably find it again. The final question I have for you when you are asking yourself the tough questions is, have you used it in the past year? (laughs) Right? Like such a simple question, but a powerful one. Have you used that item in the past year? If the answer is no, chances are good you won't use it in the next year or the next five years or the next decade either. Pillar number four is to remove, but don't toss. When I first started decluttering, I found myself really discouraged to realize that I had filled all these boxes of stuff that I no longer wanted, but I had no one to give it all to. Finding homes for my clutter beyond the landfill took more time for me personally than the actual decluttering did, and it also required significant mental and physical energy. While it would certainly be simplest to toss our unwanted stuff in the trash, sustainable minimalism is about finding homes for our unwanted possessions whenever possible, even though responsible decluttering demands time and effort and energy. What I suggest for you to do instead of feeling that overwhelming urge to just shove it all into the trash can is, and which by the way, everybody feels, we all have that moment where we just want to shove it all in the trash can. I suggest instead you schedule time on the back end for responsible donation. So let's say next weekend you're tackling the attic. Make sure you schedule the following weekend too on your calendar as the time for you to take all the stuff that you found in the attic that you no longer want and donate it or discard it properly. So really quick, what should you do with the stuff you don't want? You can sell it, you can donate it, you can responsibly discard of it, and that's for the stuff that's stained, ripped, broken, no power cord, whatever it is that makes the item no longer have a utility. Those things need to be responsibly discarded. Electronics, appliances, you don't want to just stick those in your bin. You should go to an electronic recycling event. Now, I advocate for selling. Sell those high-demand, high-quality pieces when you can because not only do you make a little bit of money, it also means that when there's an exchange for funds, for goods, that means the buyer will more likely care for the item 
than if the buyer had just acquired the item for free, right? So if you ever pay for something, if there's ever that monetary transaction, you tend to value the item a little bit more, right? Now, from an environmental standpoint, it's best to keep your cast-offs in your community. So perhaps you don't sell items to Britain. (laughs) Perhaps you try and keep your cast-offs local because fewer packages sent around the globe emits less carbon into the atmosphere. And if you are dedicated to donating, consider hospitals and churches and libraries, animal shelters, homeless shelters, women shelters, halfway homes, food banks, prisons. Think beyond goodwill, I guess is my suggestion. Consider thinking beyond goodwill. Now, finally, my final pillar of responsible decluttering is to analyze what is left. So after you have decluttered the space and after you sit down, put your feet up, you feel really proud of your efforts, pat yourself on the back and then analyze what is left. It is often the case that after we do all that hard work, our home is still not as light and airy and as spacious as we hoped, even after you decluttered. Once you're done, consider six often overlooked issues. The first is too much furniture. Are you always sidestepping stuff? (laughs) If so, you may have too much furniture. If a stager came into your house to stage your home for sale, Would they remove some furniture? Would they replace some of your furniture with smaller pieces? If the answer to either of those questions is yes, you might have too much furniture still. Another overlooked area is the refrigerator. Experiment by taking all the pictures, all the invitations, all the birth announcements off the fridge for one week and put them where they belong. So the school papers go in your child's baby book, let's say. The party invitations, you're going to take the important information off of the invitation and then recycle the invitation. You see where I'm going with this. You're going to experiment with a bare fridge for seven days. You're going to see how you like it. I would bet money on the fact that you like it a lot and the stuff is not going to go back. But if you miss your beautiful fridge with its smorgasbord of things on it, be intentional with what you put back. Next up, overstuffed bookshelves. Are your bookshelves overstuffed? If so, take a second look at them. Also, take a discerning look at your art that you're hanging on the walls. Are you hanging that art on your walls because you genuinely love it and you genuinely love looking at it? Or is the wall art detracting from the clean lines and visual simplicity that you seek? Finally, consider your collections. I've talked about before about how there was a time in my life where I collected teapots, which is totally insane to me now because I don't even drink tea ever. I never drink tea. (laughs) But I had a teapot collection at one time. And I learned, even before becoming a minimalist, that when I put all my teapots out, they didn't look very good together because they were different colors, different shapes. There was no unity towards them. It was just a smorgasbord of random teapots. And so when you exhibit too many of something, whether it be teapots or dolls or figurines, when you put out too many, you never see 
the individual ones. You only see the collection. And this problem can be solved really easily by displaying less. So if you have a collection of something, consider putting out one at a time and rotating them. Or consider keeping only the ones that you genuinely, genuinely love. A lot of times when we have a collection, we think about it as a collection and we never think about splitting it up. But if there are pieces within the collection that you actually only like, there are only some that you like and the rest is kind of just unnecessary, consider getting rid of some of the collection as a means of letting your favorites come to the forefront. So those are the five pillars of responsible decluttering. They are to choose quality over quantity, measure true value, ask those tough questions, remove but don't toss, and finally analyze what's left. I still hope that you received some decluttering motivation from today's episode. Coronavirus pandemic time is the perfect time to (laughs) declutter because so many of us find ourselves with an awful lot of free time and a lot of free time in the house. So if that's you, I have a quick couple tips for you with regard to decluttering during a pandemic. My first one is to focus and really zero in on those high impact areas. Because we're spending so much time in our homes, tackle those areas that will most greatly improve the quality of your life. High impact areas are rooms that you are in all the time. So probably your kitchen, your living room, and your bedroom. Focus on those first. Another tip I have for you that is pandemic specific is to look ahead, right? Whenever you declutter, you should always look three to four months ahead because those items are going to be what is desired by others. So what's coming next? Fall is coming and then on the heels of fall is Christmas. So right now, consider paring down your fall decor, your Halloween costumes and your Halloween stuff, your Thanksgiving items, and even your holiday decorations, because those are the items that will be in high demand at donation centers within the coming months. And those are the items that you could even, if you have some high quality pieces, maybe sell for a little bit of profit. It is... I'm just checking my watch. It is 88 degrees where I live today. So if you are considering decluttering this weekend or this month and you live in a hot climate, I would suggest staying out of the garage and staying out of the attic. Go to a place in your house that is cool and inviting, a place where you will want to spend a good couple of hours. For me, that's my basement. And finally, one other specific place that can be decluttered right here, right now, your craft supplies. If you have not become reacquainted with your hobbies during this pandemic, you have likely outgrown those hobbies for good. So if you have scrapbooking stuff, sewing stuff, needlepoint stuff, and you have not picked up those hobbies in the last four months, perhaps it is time to say goodbye to those hobbies once and for all. All right, there you have it. Decluttering motivation for you and me. Everything we talked about today is in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 136. That's M-A-M-A minimalist.com forward slash 136. I hope you have an amazing week. Stay home, stay healthy, and take care, my friends. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.